Hello, ladies and gentlemen, it is your host, Rai Rai Jones, as always, joined by Schwebzy. Hi, friends. For the first episode of the new year, um, but the first episode after the rebrand tape measure takes, we're really, really excited. New year, new brand, new fun, same hot takes by me. It's with the new year, can I stop considering the Nationals champions? No, they will be your 2019 World Series champions. Sorry, I'm going to do it anyway. Okay, that's fine. You're a Mets fan, I understand. <laughs> um, but I do actually, we are going to actually start with the Nats, which is really funny. Because they have had a very, very interesting off season, mainly in the last five days, with the additions of... Starlin Castro, um, Eric Thames, and Will Harris, and then, of course, re-signing Estrubal Cabrera and Daniel Hudson. Yes, yeah, so you brought this up to me. You you said uh, you like the signings, and my immediate gut reaction to these signings were like, I, I like what they're doing. They recognized ba- basically all the holes on their 25-man roster, and sign somebody at least competent for each of those empty spots. Yeah. The the obvious flaw is they're still missing a starting third baseman. Unless they think Keyboom can stick there. So I saw a lot of Twitter takes that were like, well, we lost Rendon, but we got XYZ and whoever. Yeah. Not a take I love. Because we, we've spoken here on the pod before about uh, roster building philosophy and how you want to consolidate talent per roster spot and replacing a six war player with three two war players is not ideal. Mm-hmm. So if you have stars already, which the Nationals do, Signing all those two war players is fine, and that's what they did. So yeah, you know, I like what I, I like what they've done. See, I look at I look at it as between upgrading from Dozier to Castro, and from upgrading Matt Adams and Ryan Zimmerman, who I don't think is going to come back now, with Howie Kendrick and Eric Thames as a platoon, and then having Hudson and Harris in the bullpen for a full year and possibly keep him at third base, you don't make up to Anthony Rendon, but the blow is cushioned. Yeah. There's no scrubs on this roster. Now, if they go out and do something like trade for Chris Bryant or sign Josh Donaldson, this becomes a completely different conversation when you look at this roster, though. Yeah, but... uh, there. So they're in those conversations, but from what I've been hearing around the... Twitterverse, um, it doesn't seem likely. Yeah. They they seem they seem like at least second most likely in each scenario. You know, at, at best. Gut 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 take. I think Kyle Seager is going to be the Nats' opening day third baseman. Depoto has been oddly quiet. Yeah, and he kind of wants to get rid of that contract. Cause it's the last big one they have. It's been a while. He's got to be jonesing for a trade right now. He's probably like itching his arms, like has scratch, <laughs> like just running ruts in his arms. Um, Calling other GMs. Come on, man. Come on, man. I need my fix, man. I need my fix. Just a, just a little trade. Cash considerations. Come on. <laughs> man. Uh, moving on to, to a, a smaller market team, smaller market in quotation marks. It's one of the biggest cities in North America. Um, Toronto signed Ryu to four years, $80 million contract. And what did we talk about in our end of season Jays summary? They needed starting pitching. They needed starting pitching. And Ryu, uh, so I don't love Ryu because I like reliability. Yeah. And you do not get that from Ryu. Not a huge high, yeah. high ceiling, low floor. And yeah. the low floor is because of the injury potential. Yep. But as you can't deny the talent. When he's healthy, he puts up zeros, and he makes the Blue Jays better, significantly better. Also, if I'm not mistaken, since we last did an episode, they brought back Brett Anderson. Yep. And signed Tanner Roark. Brett Anderson was a pitch mix beneficiary this past year. 
he uh, another one who suffers from a lot of injuries. Like there's there's a non-zero chance that the Blue Jays spend a big chunk of the year without their one and two starters. Or I don't know, is Anderson their two or their three? I don't know. I think he's their three. But yeah, it, it's definitely interesting. And with Tanner Roark, they definitely have somebody who can eat 200 innings and, and keep it relatively close. That offense has to be explosive still. You Will it be? That's They're still the so young. They're so young. Sophomore slump. So talented, but so young. I, hey, Vlad had Vlad had a rookie slump. Does that mean the sophomore slump's going to make him worse? I don't know. I I have, and by the way, the sophomore slump is like two weeks into the season slump now because of how much more scouting there is nowadays with videos and everything. I I dog on FP on this show so much. I really do. I don't like a lot of what he's his old school commentary as a commentator for the Nats is. But the one thing that he constantly gets right is when he's talking about sophomore slumps and offenses is saying you have to make the second and third adjustment when the league adjusts to you. That's the difference between a guy and the upper tier of players. And now all of these Blue Jays players have to prove they were worth the hype this year. Well, it's it's a game of adjustments. The, it is. The saying, it's, it's a saying for a reason. It's one of the truer baseball truisms. And, and the best in the league do it every at-bat between every at bat yep and it's between pitches yeah i mean you see trout trout do it all the time look at how much he moves his hands up and down his bat every between every pitch um yep moving on to uh a hitter signing uh the the marlins got Corey dickerson from from the northernmost team to the southernmost uh, oh yeah actually wait is seattle more north technically i don't know we'll figure it out later we'll figure it out later um Corey Dick, what's going on in my? They're spending money. What? So we were talking about this right before the pod. Yeah, right um, before we hit record. They th- this off season, the Marlins, who the notably futile, futile Marlins, the doormat Marlins, have this off season signed Francisco Cervelli, Corey Dickerson, Jesus Aguilar. They traded for Jonathan VR. And they got Matt Kemp in their minors. And I'm not willing to rely on Kemp for anything, but that, that you know, that's more than half of a major league lineup. Yeah, I know, right? By the and way, none of those guys are complete scrubs. No, Corey Dickerson's really good. Yeah, Dickerson's very good. Um, Kemp, uh, Kemp, Kemp might be toast, but he's he a could, respectable hitter. He could be a replacement level left fielder for them yeah it, it with him it seems to be about the motivation and the fitness yeah i don't know i don't know how motivated he's gonna be in uh miami but he's he's a quality player might be trade bait mid-season that's that's fair by the way i heard the miami marlins called something yesterday and i can't get it out of my head which i heard somebody call them the miami marlins or Derek jeter's side chick <laughs> and i can't get it out of my head because it's perfect <laughs> But yeah, Hope he got him a fruit basket. Uh, right, right. I don't know. It, it's if they don't care about service time, they could be a very interesting team very, very quickly. They could be because they have loads of arms from their uh, long periods of drafting yeah. high. Um, maybe Jorge Alfaro finally puts it together at catcher too. Maybe I I, I, I I was high on Alfaro when he was in the Phillies system too. Yeah, he just needs to stop striking out so much. Yeah. He like we 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 talk about how strikeouts aren't the big deal that they once were, but he still strikes out too much. He's on the upper the upper level of that. Um, I was just kind of, I'm just kind of impressed with how much money has been spent this off season. Yeah, I know. At one point, we talked about how few, even medium sized free agent signings there were last off season. Yeah. I get the feeling. When this is when the season is all said and done, it's going to blow away what we saw last offseason as far as money spent on mid-tier free agents. I think overall, if you don't include the Rendon, Cole, and Strasburg deal, I think you're still over a billion dollars spent this offseason. And it's good. That's really good. We're happy. <laughs> it's good. And just... it's, it's good and it's bad. It's good because you're like, yay, all these players are getting deals. And I'm sitting in the back of my head, and it's bad. The owners were colluding for the last two years, got caught, and decided just to sign everybody this year. 
you, you, do you think this is like a, 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 a like a, a reaction to what's gonna happen soon with the uh, with the labor deal? Like, like was yeah. this trying to get out ahead of things and go like, look, we did spend. Look, we did spend money. Yeah, that's that's a hundred and ten percent what I think it is. Unfortunately, um, look, whatever it, it takes, man, just it, spend money. It is. It's true. It's whatever it takes. Yeah. But uh, well, apparently there's still some owners that nothing can make spend. The pirates spend the zero dollars. The Pirates, the Cubs, yeah, NL Central teams. The Cubs. Speaking got, of the NL Central, I, I was I was gonna go AL. I was gonna go AL Central first. Speaking of the Cubs, got outbid on Chiswick by the White Sox. Savvy pickup. I, I like pick it. Up. We'll talk about it more in a minute. But to stick in the Central Division, the Reds have had a really really interesting off season. Well, really, last six months, really starting with the Bauer trade. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about two teams today. We're gonna uh, a, a little bit in depth on their offseason moves. Yes, uh, we're gonna talk about the Reds and the White Sox. Yeah, both of them were kind of sexy sleeper teams last offseason, and neither of them had the records to show for it when it was all said and done. Yeah, but if you kind of dig into like the Pythag- the Pythagorean records, the Reds were not as bad as they looked. The Reds played some fun baseball. Yeah, the the Reds had a fun team. They have a fu- they had a fun rotation. They have one of the most uh, respected pitching coaches in all of baseball, and we we all see the pitching gurus snatched up every other day. It seems like yeah, so they're a very analytic well, forward organization. Right, and and we know the the big uh, the big name that the the big domino that fell this offseason. They got Kyle Body. Yeah, who, if you're not familiar with the name, is the mind behind Driveline, which is a name I'm sure you've heard. Yes. So, and if you haven't, go Google it. Yeah, Driveline are some of the most forward thinkers on the pitching front, uh, with high speed cameras, uh, models for spin rate, and just a pitch design. like almost every pitcher in the past few years who had like a renaissance by throwing a new pitch or like changing the angle on one of their pitches, you, you can trace it back to driveline. Yeah. They're, they're basically pitching geniuses with the technology and the theorizing. Totally. So Kyle body is the mind behind them. He's been looking to get into a major league team for a while now. And he has, and it's very telling that he chose the Reds. It's yeah, and I was gonna say it's super interesting that he ch- he chose the Reds because there are there are three teams that ha- seem to have a lot of top end pitching prospects, but to me the Reds are the most intriguing, of course, with Green and Lodolo. Although you can't count out the Tigers or the White Sox either, to be honest. Um, but they also added to the offensive side of the ball too which seemed to be a strong point kind of for them last year, and then it kind of slumped off, and then they got stronger at the end of the year last year. Of course, they added Mike Moustakis. That was the big splash earlier in the season. Um, the defense is a little bit of a problem at second base, but I also don't kind of think they care. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about this a bit later. I don't think defense is as important as it once was with the way shifts are, are, are so uh, dominant nowadays. Yeah. And Moustakis has shown, you know, maybe he's not a plus there, but he's shown competency, which is fine. Yeah. You know, especially when you have a bat like he does. Yeah. And it's not like he was a defensive ace at third base anyway. Right. It's really, it's, it doesn't get talked about enough. I don't think that he was a meh defender at third base and he moved up the defensive spectrum at second and, and was fine. Yeah. Like you don't really see that. Yeah, you, you don't. Um, of course, the other the other big news that that happened officially yesterday or two days ago, although we knew about it in December, was Shogo Akiyama made was officially signed his three year deal with the Reds coming over from Japan. Um, dude's a doubles machine. He averages like 30, 300 hitter. The question that always comes over with these guys is, can they translate that success into MLB-level success? And you never know. You never know. It is real, legitimately a, a, a crapshoot in a lot of cases. Um, although, I do actually have a funny quote on why some people think success 
does translate over into the MLB. I did not know this. The Japanese leagues use a smaller baseball. Oh, I didn't know it's that. About, it's about 12 to 15% smaller than an MLB baseball. And so guys who go over and play in Japan and then come back, you saw the Nats do this in 2012 with Chad Tracy. And in May, they asked him why he was hitting the ball so well because he was like a 180 hitter when he came up before. He's like, it looks like a beach ball. <laughs> Is the ball's physically bigger, and so they can see it better. And I never even thought about that, but it, it depends on how well players, I think, read baseballs in general. If they can read them in the Japanese league, they can read them in Major League Baseball. The The Japanese league to American league narrative that, I had heard, and I believe this, is that, so we, we've heard recently in the MLB that pitchers are starting to throw breaking balls more. That's kind of always been a thing yes, in it has. Japan. And you heard that specifically with uh, Tim's when, when he first came to uh, Milwaukee from Japan. Or what was it, Korea he came from? Thanks, he came Korea. from the KBO. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you heard about that a lot when he came over. So it's it could be a combination of things. Maybe a guy that can't hit breaking pitches goes over there, learns to hit breaking pitches, comes back. But it's entirely possible. Regardless, it's it's a it's a different style, a different ball. So it maybe maybe everything just winds up balancing out, and he does what he did in Japan. But it's yeah. really who can say. Um the the last addition the Red saw or the Reds made was uh, Freddie Galvis on the offensive side, which was more a defensive upgrade at shortstop. They've been through two or three guys at shortstop the last couple years. Um, they had, um, oh, I can't even remember his name. Promising prospect. Just came up and never got it together at the major league level. And they had Peraza. Peraza, there we go. And then they had Iglesias kind of fill in last year at shortstop and second base. And now they got Galvis. So that should give them a steadier defense. And then on the pitching side, adding Wade Miley to a fairly young rotation, I think is a pretty smart move. I'm actually surprised that they let Iglesias go because he. it seems like he wouldn't have required too big of a commitment, and we know he's a defensive wizard. Yeah. It, yeah, it was one does, of the surprises. Galvis does offer a better stick. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we all know about their young arms. What is it? Michael Michael Lorenz, Scalafani, Iglesias, Garrett, uh, Stevenson. Um, like I said earlier, Hunter Green and Lodolo are right there on the doorstep. They're, they could be an interesting team pretty quickly the, the gray castillo bauer miley sclafon de sclafani rotation that has potential yeah that had a lot of potential you could also theoretically see what you could get for de sclafani if you want to call up hunter green too yeah i mean i'm sure there's more arms waiting because i'm sure some team that needs a fourth fourth or fifth starter like the dodgers might be willing to pay a premium to get a good fourth or fifth starter like sclafani and not for nothing, they just have some straight-up interesting players. They do. Like Senzel. Senzel has star potential. He can play Josh ball. Van Peter destroyed the minors last year. Also, uh, Senzel Phil can Earth. play five positions. Yeah, yeah. Aquino, we all know what he did last year. Jesse Winker might have the most upside in that lineup. Because, yeah. of the, because of his walk rates and, uh, you know, the, the way he, he handles the plate. Before we move on to the White Sox, because we have spent a lot of time on the Reds, I, I find it funny all the trade rumors are like, what can they get for Winker or Senzel to add to that team? And I'm like, in my opinion, Aquino's the odd one out now that they have, now that they have Akiyama because Senzel can play all three outfield positions and can play short or third. Winker can also play second or first and can also fill in at center field. Akiyama can play all three positions. Aquino's right or left and can't play infield. So they have options there to add a, a trade piece too before the start of the season. Fun with projections. I was looking at fan graphs, depth chart uh, projections, and uh, they have Aquino at like 35 home runs, but wow. 0.6 war. Trade the bum. <laughs> Uh, All right, so the White Sox had a busy off season. A the other busy, central busy, busy season in the other central. Um, start with the the obvious one. They re-signed Jose Abreu. Yep. They signed Luis Roberts to an extension, so he will be up at the start of the season. I love being and... able. I love being able to say this. They re-signed Gio Gonzalez. 
and I do mean re-signed because they drafted him and then traded him twice. And their biggest move of the offseason, I'd say? Grandal? Huge. I, I think that is the move of the offseason. A lot of young pitching that needs a stable game caller that has good framing and good defense, and they got that in Grandal. And then they also backed it up with James McCann. Yeah, I, I would argue that they have the best catching tandem in baseball now. They're, they're one of the very few teams that can safely say, you know, ignoring injury possibilities, that they're going to have a good catcher behind the plate for yeah. 162 games. Yeah, and then they also got added Nomar Maraza and, yeah. and Edwin, Edwing. So- Mazzara is is bashed a lot in baseball circles for not producing like he quote should, um, and it's it's justifiably it's justifiable he he hits the ball harder than just about anybody in two thousand and nine yeah uh, two thousand and nineteen he hit the furthest home run in baseball he hit a ball five hundred and five feet and in a year when everyone was smashing dingers. He dingered he, the biggest he dinger. Dangered. He he dingered the dongers. He he dongered so hard. <laughs> uh, and so the problem is, in spite of his incredibly high max exit velocity, his average exit velocity, uh, to put it kindly, sucks. Yeah. So the consistency isn't there, and uh, it I I can see why a team would want him because I'm sure every hitting coach out there is like, I can fix him. But will it happen? We'll see. And then, of course, they added Keichel, too. But to, to, to Which talk, is a weird fit. It is weird because of the defense, right? Their infield defense is bad. Yeah. It's like when the uh, when the Mets got Stroman and everyone was like, what? Why? Why? Um, I think to eat innings and be a veteran presence in that lineup, in that pitching rotation, Um, to be honest with you. Um, I am very, very intrigued by this team. Um, I, I honestly think with the trade, with the trading of Corey Kluber, they're second in the division to the Twins now. It's the Twins and the White Sox in that division. And something that it feels like no one is talking about is we got the annual unheralded Edwin Encarnacion signing. We did. And it's, he's just gonna, he's gonna hit another 35 home runs. And everyone's just gonna be like, oh, yawn. He did it again. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's doing the parrot so, thing again. Cool. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, Edwin. Edwin. And it's, I mean, they're either gonna be he's one gonna of produce. the best. They're either gonna be one of the best teams in the NL in the AL next year, or one of the most fun teams to watch. There's no in between, in my opinion. It's, it's nice to have one less doormat in the AL. Also, can we talk about how Luis Roberts hasn't played an inning in Major League Baseball but has a higher annual average value contract than Alvis or Asuna? Well, I, I prefer not to talk about I have Alvis to, and the I, I have to dunk on the Braves when I can. Um, I saw I saw a comparison between uh, Luis is at his minor league numbers and... Um, Lewis Brinson's minor league numbers. Yeah. And they were like identical. Uh-oh. And that should that should terrify people. I don't know. I have I have heard things about Lewis Brinson and his work ethic off the field. And I don't think Lewis Robert has that Robert has that problem. I hope I hope you're right. Um yeah. But it's like, and then they add Steve Chiswick into the bullpen, like we said. Like, they're doing everything right for a team that wants to take that next step up. And then they went beyond that. Fun fact, C-Sheck's fastball is yeah. statistically one of the very best in baseball. It, mm-hmm. it allows, it allows like, the, the least results of any fastball. Yep. All right. Which, from a, from a sidearm submarine, submariner, uh, it's pretty wild. We ready, so we ready to dunk on MLB.com? Submariner? Uh, Submariner. We ready to dunk on MLB.com yet? Namor. Um, 
Yeah. Can you yeah. please put Namor on his jersey next year during Players Weekend? <laughs> for the love of God. Um, you ready to dunk? In case Hamil- you weren't sure if we were nerds here, right? Um, you ready to dunk on MLB.com? You ready to dunk on MLB.com? Yes. So they did their first power rankings of the season, and I have issues. I have a lot of issues. More like glower rankings. Hey. Uh, I yeah, I'm unhappy. Where, where do you the... where do you want to start? Let's start you from pick. the bottom. You we pick. started from the bottom. And we're still here. Okay. So they've got the Rangers at twenty. So it, it only goes to twenty, which is an odd choice. You, you got two thirds of the way there. Why stop there? Because the other ten Whatever. teams don't matter, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. So the Rangers are at number twenty. Yeah. The Rangers are promising. Like yeah, they're really your. They're, they're the twentieth best. They team? got they got Corey Corey Kluber and but they lost Mazzara. Is that really? Not enough to push them to tw- new stadium, some prospects. Oh, but they they got Steel Walker, Texas Ranger. Wait, do they actually have a new stadium though? That's the question. We we hope. We hope. <laughs> we hope it still opens on time. Um, but then they have the Angels at nineteen. So a a funny and I don't I don't want to call it funny, but it seems like they bunched up all of the teams that did a lot to improve in the offseason. White Sox, Angels, Rangers are all in this 17 to 20 range. Yeah. With the Mets. We'll get to that. Oh, I will get to that. And then uh, above that, you've got a bunch of teams that that weren't just stagnant. They just, they subtracted. So above these teams that improved a lot, you've got the Red Sox, you've got the Brewers, you've got the Indians, you've got the Cubs. What did they do this offseason? Absolutely nothing. Probably got worse, to be honest. So I mentioned the Red Sox. I'm sure they're still going to be good. I feel like 16 is too low for them. But, like, I, I don't know. I kind of liked, because they, they obviously have, like, the last 2019 rankings next to them. I like 14 mm-hmm. for the Red Sox. I think that's good. I think they shouldn't have moved to 16, down two slots. So the Mets have dropped from their uh, last power ranking spot of 15 to 18. And have they gotten like, so I, they shored up their fifth rotation spot. They are in the same camp for me as the Red Sox. They should have held their ranking. They shouldn't have been downgraded. I, I it blows my mind that the Mets are below like the Indians, Reds, Cubs, like, I just I just can't see that. I it, feel like the Mets are a more talented team than those guys. Fourteen or fifteen is a good spot for the Mets. Maybe thirteen if you're maybe thirteen, depending on who you move down for not doing anything. I was I was saying to uh, some buddies earlier that there's a there's a realistic scenario where Cano bounces back and it's it's not much of a bounce back because he had a strong second half when he was healthy. But God, if that happens, if Cano bounces back and Rosario continues his uh, improvement year to year, then the Mets have maybe an elite offense, and that's to go with plenty of plenty of talent on the mound: Degrom, Syndergaard, Mats, uh, Porcello, Waka. Uh, the Batantis, Diaz, Familia, like they, they've got so many arms. It also depends on when they're going to call up Jared Kalinick. Oh, wait. Who? Oh, wait. There's my one per show. Um, I don't pay attention to prospects since they did that. <laughs> I, don't even, I, don't, I don't want to know who our prospects are. Because <laughs> when, when, when Brody deals our prospects for Joey Votto, I don't want to hear about it. I saw somebody pull a 101 Brett beat Batty the other day. <laughs> in a break and i thought of you that's i i like Beatty. Uh, i do batty, too Beatty, batty whatever he, all right do you want me to just go through all of mine and then you'll comment on all of mine yeah sure one, sir. okay so first of all where are the reds or the white Sox in this top 10 or top 20 list why are they so low they have done more than probably any other team to get more competitive next year yeah yeah, yeah. i i I think I think they're better than people think. I, I well, they did improve from eighteen to thirteen, so they've moved up. They have, yeah, that's true. 
Um, and the White Sox are obviously ranked now instead of being not ranked. Um, my second comment is, are the Yankees really number one after only making one real move besides bringing people back? Granted, he's a top three starting pitcher, but does that really push them from, what was it, number three to number one? All right. I really, 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 really hate saying this, but yes. Probably. Um, Probably, because they're healthy now. Now, when I looked at the list without reading it, I was way more mad at having the Yankees number one. Then I read the list and I read their reasoning, and I kind of get it, which they are is all they are also assuming that they won't have as many injury problems as they did in 2019, so it'll be an overall stronger team. Yeah, you so, never assume injuries unless you're talking about the Mets. I do get the reasoning, but eh. Um, secondarily, why are the Dodgers number two? They've lost Rich Hill. They've lost Ryu. They've added Trinan. They haven't done anything else. Yeah, but the thing, like, we know the Dodgers are just oozing arms. Also, they didn't they lose guys. Russell? Yeah. Mar- didn't also didn't Russell Martin retire, or is he still one, have one more year left? Uh, who I cares? Complete- yeah. <laughs> no, I mean they're just going to replace. So that's the thing. The Dodgers are just. They have so much talent. It's oh yeah, that what's door. his name come up last year who was playing first base, who's also a catcher. Never mind. Yeah, so the Dodgers have uh probably more catching depth than anybody I, because they've got Austin Barnes yeah. still, I think, right? And they've yeah. got uh, they've got Will Smith and then that, Will Smith, there we go. That's what I was thinking and of. One of their best prospects still uh, you know, Will Smith was a prospect and now yeah. one of their best remaining prospects is another catcher, catcher. Ruiz. Yeah. Um I, I saw a comment the other day, and I will I will shout him out by name, which is at this year DC, which is James O'Hare. He's been one of the longest Nats friends I've had. And um, they gave executive of the decade to the Astros GM over the Dodgers GMing staff. And he thought it was really, really funny because the Dodgers are the organization people think the Astros are. Every single late-round pick that they've hit that has come up has produced in basically the last eight years. Granted, yeah. they've also gotten extremely lucky with people like Cody Bellinger and Gavin Lux falling to them as well, but they have hit on a lot of extremely risky picks. Mm-hmm. And um, they've they've also they've also turned some you know trade acquisitions, free agent signings into big time players like Justin Turner. Yeah, I mean, do the Dodgers still have one of the best? Max Muncy. Yeah, but do the Dodgers have still have one of the best one two punches in the NL and Clayton Kershaw and Bueller? Sure, is it probably Bueller uh, and Kershaw at least in now? The regular season. Is it probably Bueller and then Kershaw now? Probably, but that's another debate. But should should they really be number two? Um, after, come playoff time, just transition Kershaw to bullpen catcher, please. After what they've done. Um, obviously, this list was published three hours before the Nats brought three people back into the organization and made three signings. So Yeah, I mean, as far as rehab signings, you could do a lot worse than trying and Jimmy Nelson. And That's on top fair. Of that, I also forgot. I forgot they signed Nelson. Yep. So I, I mean, it's again revolving door of talent because they lose Hill, they lose Ryu, they replace them with Stripling and Urias. Like <laughs> that might yeah, be an upgrade. Maybe. That's probably an upgrade. Stripling really, really good. Um, I think having the your your World Series champions at seven is low when they've done that much granted it came today the morning before they you know brought back Cabrera Hudson and then signed Thames so I kind of get it um are the Braves really the sixth best team in baseball right now I say yes um I feel it it seems like it's very easy to forget how just how good they were last season and also, how much talent they have coming through the pipeline. That's true. Um, the Twins are way too high at four. Way too high. I, I Yeah, yeah. Uh, that one bothers me a little bit. Um, I do think they should be the highest team in the AL Central, but I also think the AL Central teams should be lower in general. Well, yes. Actually, no, actually, I think the, the Indians, the Indians maybe should be a little bit lower. White Sox maybe a little bit higher, but then the Twins much lower. Yeah. Um, because the Twins won how many games, but they were beating up on a really, really bad division. The other thing is, 
just by adding Zach Wheeler and losing some players, do the Phillies really jump from the 16th best team to the 10th overall team in baseball? This is one of the things that bothers me. It's it's like the Phillies are eight spots higher than the Mets. No, they're not. No, they're not. The Mets are a better team by a long Um, shot. I, I, yeah, I mean that place. It's. I'm, I mean, I'm, go to. The longer we talk about this, the more I'm just going to bitch about the Mets being so low. Go to, but go to any single wins projection site that you want to use next year. Who's projected to finish fourth in the division on every single one? With a 500 uh, record, it's Philly. The Phillies might have the fewest arms in the whole division. Yes, they do. They've got they've got very talented bats, but the pitching staff as a whole is lacking. I think you 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 want to talk you want to talk. I I know a lot of was made, and I will continue to thump this horn until the end of time. Everybody wants to shit on the Mets for what they did in the 2018 season with their trades in the off season with the quote unquote bad trades for Cano and getting Edwin Diaz. Right, mm-hmm. the worst trade that was made in the NL East last off season was Sixto Sanchez and Jorge Alfaro for JT Realmuto. That's a take. I like Realmuto a lot. He's if so you, good. If you were to tell me the Phillies were going into this rotation this next offseason with their top four being um, Wheeler and uh, Nola and Arietta Velasquez. Velasquez. But if you were to tell me it was their top three was Nola, Wheeler, and Sanchez with those as their fourth and fifth starter, and they actually had some depth at starting position, I'd be a lot more terrified of that team. Uh, I'm on record as saying that I think Arietta is washed. I think he is so too. So I'm in a little bit of agreement there. You know, who knows what could have happened with six so I also think there was a reason that the Nationals were willing to trade Zach Eflin for Jade uh, Papelbon. I... I want to believe that the Phillies are not the right team to get the most out of Wheeler. Yeah. Like I hope I, I hope that Wheeler just continues doing what he did with the Mets and, you know, he's good, not great. Um I really hope that they don't, you know, unlock the potential that's clearly there. The the love, other thing want to see him do bad the though. The other thing that shocks me about Philadelphia is you're trying to tell me that that organization believes adding Zach Wheeler losing a third of their bullpen and doing nothing else besides losing position players and then calling up Alex Baum and changing the coaching staff is the difference between a 500 team and a championship caliber team? Really? Also, 10th best team in baseball? So what the Phillies do have going for them is that their rotate their their lineup is stacked. They've got McCutcheon, Real Muto, Harper, Hoskins, Didi Gregorius, Gene Segura, Scott Kingery. And then it doesn't even matter who's in center field because the lineup is stacked. When's McCutcheon coming back, though? Uh, isn't he back for the start of the year? No. No? How Torn- much longer is Torn- he Torn- Torn- Achilles is a year. Hmm. Let well, me, oh, I'll look into it's, that. it's like eight or nine months to baseball activities, and then it's normally 10 to 12 months for games so that would put him at the end of april so theoretically he could be back for the start of the season uh this injury report i pulled up said that he was day-to-day on june 24th 2019 they didn't put him on the that, 60, that, 60 day that feels forever. inaccurate that, yeah they didn't put him on the 60 day for like two weeks or something ridiculous um but, but yeah. when mccutcheon comes back he's at this point in his career not what he was but no. given his batting eye one of the best table setters in baseball that's fair that's fair um. Yeah, I also, I don't know. You and I were kind of talking about. I don't think the Braves are the sixth best team in baseball for completely different reasons. Which is uh, they're, they're, they scare me. I, I think it's sh- and I I I think what I was talking about off the podcast showed last year during the playoffs, which is there is a direct disconnect between the players and the managerial staff. I even if that's so, I just think talent wins out over time and they have more of it than just about anybody i mean they they also did in the 90s and how'd that turn out for them i mean 
by most measures, they were very successful. <laughs> like that's how it turned that's out. That's true. I mean, they I mean, they basically were the 2010s decade Nats back then. To be honest, yeah. um, with more I, I NLCS mean, appearances, but um, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just. I think I think my overarching comment is this seems what the writers at MLB.com want to be the case and not necessarily an accurate representation of what happened. Maybe maybe there's a little bit of like narrative bias here. Definitely with the Yankees, I think. At the, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. But at the same time, like who who you cares? Like that it's it. twin like I, I don't I don't think, you know, I don't think the Midwest is clamoring for the Twins to be highly ranked in the power rankings. I I was I was also I still want to point out though this was tweeted three days ago. I am still seeing it quoted and talked about in most fan bases. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of gross. Like the power rank, it's it's and it's weird. Why st- the the stopping at twenty thing is weird. It is. Why? It's very weird. Um, I, I don't know, but all right. So something more recent that was posted today though. Yes, the the thing in the analytics community today, and probably the near future, is that uh, Statcast has released their defensive measures for infielders. OAA had, is out. Yes, OAA. We've had outs above average for outfielders for a while now. Now we have them for infielders, and yes. the way they measure it is very in depth, and it's. It's encouraging because we've had, you know, we all know how unreliable defensive metrics can be. So it's nice to have one where the methodology is clear, spelled out, and easily, uh, like, like easily stated. Yes. How it's above average. Like, that's, you know, that's it's clear. It's average. You, you... And they were like, we have to do these four things that we did at the outfield version of the statistic. And these four things have to work before we're done. And they're very four clear and decisive metrics, which I love. How far, yes. which is one, how far does the fielder has to have to go from a starting position to reach the ball, what they're calling the intercept point? And then how much time has he got to get there? Then how far is he from the base the runner is heading to? And on force plays, how fast the batter is on average using the stat cast metric? Yeah, and a really interesting thing that they've done is they've implemented positioning, which is not in all of the defensive metrics out there. So let's say, for example, the Oakland A's are on defense. They're playing a shift. So uh, their shortstop is playing to the right of the second base bag. And Matt Chapman is standing where the shortstop would normally be. That goes down in OAA as a play by the shortstop because you know he's, he's playing the shortstop position. Yes. So it doesn't throw off like the positioning of everything and it, it lets you compare what might be apples and oranges. Yeah. Um, the, the other really big thing that I like about this though too is I did not know DRS used an eye test. I thought they were somehow getting some information somehow to do it. And obviously UZR has been using zones to measure quote-unquote distance all the Mm -hmm. time they're essentially using triangulation and actual like real mathematics to calculate the triangle from where the balls hit to where the fielder gets it to then the base so it's not actually what is that a technically a isometric four-sided shape i guess with the baseline and then the two the yeah to basically figure out how far the throw was and everything to qualify this. I looked it up. It's a square tangle. Is that what it's called? No. (laughs) Oh my god, I was going to lose it. (laughs) I was going to lose it. Um, I believe it's just called a... I don't know. I kind of want to look it up now just because I need to know. It's a shape. It is. It is a shape. So, uh, some things that stood out from these uh, OAA leaderboards, uh, so like there, there are some extremes that were surprising, and some that were not surprising. It's very, very much not surprising to see guys like Arenado, Chapman, 
uh, Ahmed at the top of the list. Uh, it, you know, if you if you haven't heard the name uh, Nick Ahmed that much, he's a spectacular fielder. Um, and then you've got guys like uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. at the bottom. Uh, Vlad is uh, he he thick and he not a great fielder. Um, yeah. And then there's some surprising things like way 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 at the bottom of the list is the left half of uh the san diego padres infield machado is very far down uh and tatis is literally the bottom of the list um their infield was atrocious because i I believe hosmer had a down year too yep uh it's really fascinating looking at all this and how they calculate and everything kind of blows your mind yeah, I really, I can't wait to dig into this over the next couple of weeks and then really, uh, you know, try, try to figure out, uh, you know, what, what teams, uh, what, what teams are really like making the most of their talent. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, so another thing that stuck out, the Cardinals had one, I think one of the two best infields by OAA. And we happened to see some really, really low BABIPs by their pitchers this year. Jack Flaherty, incredibly low BABIP. Uh, Dakota Hudson, very low BABIP, and now you can kind of see why. Um, the crazy thing to me is is how accurate this metric is. So, like, there is a play they use in the article that talks about Carlos Correa having, like, 1.5 seconds to move 12 feet to the ball to get the ball 147 feet to first base. Aaron Judge actually had above-average sprint speed last year, which surprises me at 28.2 feet per second. So if he made the play, which he it's did, like two steps. which he made the play, if he did, it's 0.9 towards his season total. But because there's only a 10% chance of being converted into an out, it would only have affected him negative 0.1. Right. And so, that seems fair. Yeah. It, so it's adjust for actually how far out of the average range the play is. So if you make a play that only gets made 10% of the time and you make it, you get 0.9 because there's only a 10% chance to make the play, it only hurts you minus 0.1. So it's it's really fascinating how it's on a scale, and I think this will be the defensive metric now for infielders. I, I can see it. And I, I briefly mentioned this. My, my favorite thing about it is the transparency. Yes. I like that about uh, baseball savant, StatCast uh, in general. They're very, very out in the oval with everything. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Baseball Savant actually didn't start as part of MLB, right? Mm, not sure. I thought it was a couple people that had a website, and then MLB was like, we need these stats. Yeah, I honestly, I could not tell you. I know, but I, I love everything they're doing with StatCast. I, I, think, it, I think they need yes. to do run. I think they, the one thing I can say about them that I wish they would add is a seven-day running total of stuff, or a 14-day total, or the thir- last 30 days. They do actually have time frames. They do, but it's not like if I click on like a player on it, it's not like here's their last game, here's their last seven days. That I want that they're not inside. Yeah, the... it it looks like right now you can sort by month. Yeah, which isn't terrible. No, no, it's it not, not terrible. It's, and, and it's only going to get better. Yeah, because baseball savant has gotten exponentially better since it started. I'm, we're at, you know, as nerds, we are so happy to have them around doing what they're doing. They're they're doing the Lord's work. They they really are. They're making it so much easier to quantify everything in the game. Really. Yeah, and that that month by month breakdown uh, was nice because it showed that the eye test was correct with uh, Ahmed Rosario, for example. He was pitifully bad in april and got better as the year went on and his uh oaa got better as the year went on don't don't all i'm asking is don't look at victor robles's april <laughs> was it not good it was terrible could you talk about how he had like negative six drs or negative Whoa. six outs above average in april and finished at the top of the league in outs above average in center he's a, he's a bronze, as an outfielder bronze fielder, bronze fielder. You know who you know who was above average in OAA? What? JD Davis. What the hell? Right. That might have been like the sneakiest trade Brody made, by the way. Oh yeah, it was it was very, very Absolute good. Absolute sneaky. Absolute Although there sneaky. was 
I, I can't remember the name, but there is one prospect that I feel like we're going to wind up regretting. Yeah, but possibly. For now, it looks good. Yeah. Uh, any Anything else on your list to talk about? No, I mean, the, the things that we talked about so far, I could just go on and on about, but I'm just going to get coherent, incoherent and rambly the more I talk about the Mets power ranking placement. <laughs> 18th, man, 18th. I could make another Jared Clinic joke so you know what number he has. Their power ranking placement is old enough to smoke. No, not anymore. They, they changed the age? Yeah, it's federal, federally mandated. It's 21 now. Oh, man. Changed it like a week ago. Can't believe I'm not up on these things. Right? Luckily, right. you can still so, attend a baseball game at any age. Yes. Boom. The real drug. Yeah, really. Really. So, um, yeah. the last thing we wanted to talk about today was... Uh, oh, wait. We, oh, we crossed it off our list. Never mind. Yeah, we talked about it last time. That's true. I, I, I did want to say, though, I can't believe they added more Sig Series this late. They added three the, more yesterday. I actually got such a kick out of the Paul Canerco a- yeah. edition because it's, you know, by war, by war, he's like the 130th best first baseman ever. What did it's he like, get? Got a 98. Are you serious? He got higher than what's his name? Tony Perez? Yeah. From the, oh 100. my God. How the heck is he higher than Tony Perez? Like, I get that he had some good years, but like, man, that's one of the more egregious juiced cards. I still think the most egregious was uh, Pee Wee Reese, but Canerco's bad. Okay, you you ready? You ready for my most juiced card that I don't think people people are gonna like like at all? Rick and Keel was the most juiced card this year. I you know that one doesn't bother me because, because it was in '88. He's the worst Sig series, and he's yeah. a novelty card. Yeah, you that's, know, that's fair. let him have it. He that's was fair. he was Shohei before Shohei. Let it let him. That's well, true. Uh, it's just a much more winding road for him. I think, I think my favorite thing I ever saw Ricky and Keel do in person was I forgot it was opening day against the Braves and I forgot which Upton brother it was. On a single to center field, tried to go second to home, and Keel whipped that thing in no hop to home plate from like center because he was playing far back at the wall center field no hop to the catcher and the catcher just caught the ball and stood up because he had enough time before the guy made it to home plate and he just he pulled up his head from running to look where the ball was and then looked at the catcher and got tagged and you're like we saw that a couple times this year with like Vince Velasquez playing the outfield yeah Michael Lorenzen playing the outfield. It's like base runners are like Vin, oh, Vince Velasquez played like seven played like seventeen innings as an outfielder this year for the Phillies. I think, right? Yeah, Se- something like seventeen. He was top twenty in outfield assists in the NL. I don't understand because these base runners are like, oh, he's not an outfielder. I can run. My guy, he's a pitcher. You know what pitchers have? Strong arms. They throw for a living. Um. That's another interesting one. You know who is second on the uh, Reds depth chart in right field on their website? Michael Lorenzen. Michael Lorenzen. Who is a fantastic pinch hitter. Yeah, he is. My man hits dingers. He is also. He is is so slow. They also, I did not know this, um, they also drafted two two two-way players out of high school this year in the draft, and they are telling both that they're going to be two-way players in the major leagues. I was I was talking about their interesting players before, and I meant to mention Lorenzen, and I forgot about him. Yeah, but yeah, they are they are turning into a very fun. We can get it get it in the wrap up here. Um, yeah, I think the new market inefficiency is going to be having twenty five players that can pitch and hit. <laughs> JD Davis was supposed to be a two way player, and we're I'm going, upset it didn't happen. We're going back to the eighteen nineties, boys. <laughs> Let's go. For his old Ross Hadburn or old Haas Radburn when you need him. <laughs> By the way, the most ridiculous, the most ridiculous stat line in baseball history. Have you ever looked it up? Oh, yeah, did he throw like every complete game? <laughs> he threw fifty-seven. He started fifty-seven games one season and threw like forty-one complete games. <laughs> he had something like four hundred innings, four hundred and ten innings. 
and he's got a fantastic Twitter account. Yeah, and and he's on Twitter. It's great. Um, not the most ridiculous stat line. The most ridiculous stat line goes to Walter Johnson, through thirty three complete games in a row. What's a complete game? Uh, I think there were only eleven that were only eight innings. Yeah. On that stretch. Imagine if people just threw the ball like they used to. Remember, remember 94 going, and lobbing them in there? What's there was Is a, that there what was a you clip, mean? There was a clip of Feller throwing the other day yeah. when, he, when he famously threw with like 98 or whatever it was. Yeah. And like watching him throw and seeing the ball come in, you're just like, that's, that's not 98. <laughs> They, oh, my favorite! My favorite thing is to prove he threw 100 miles per hour. They had this glass company in Ohio special make this pane of glass, and they tempered it and somehow knew that you could only break it if you threw over 100 miles per hour or whatever. Oh uh, yeah, the glass. Yeah. yeah, I don't believe that for a second. My windows are made out of that stuff. I got it special made. Yeah, I think Elon Musk put those windows in his car too. It's because I only threw a 99, so and I didn't want to break my windows. I think. Last last random note in the in the wrap up here. I think my favorite thing is Dan Heron still throws bullpens, and then every time he gets his average fastball velocity from them, he changes his Twitter name. <laughs> I think he's down. He's... From, he was like he was like when I first followed him, he was like I throw ninety. Now I think he's I throw eighty seven. <laughs> he's basically the anti Aubrey Huff. He's a fun retired Twitter follow. Yeah. I think my favorite thing was a couple of years ago. He was like, "Hey, Nat, at Nationals, can you guys stop calling me about season tickets? I've already apologized for 2013." <laughs> <sighs> yeah, he's, uh, he's he's one of the good ones. He's yeah, he's he going to be around the game forever, and hopefully, the game is better for it. He's a minor league coordinator somewhere. The Diamondbacks. He's he's a pitching guru. He's one of those guys. Uh, he, you know, yeah, all, all about the sequencing and the design. Yeah. Probably will fit in well with today's game because he was doing a lot of stuff that they're doing mm-hmm. now with pitch sequencing and spin rates and stuff back in the mid two thousands, which was not common. And so. a lot of these new pitching gurus are not major former major league players, so it's nice to have yeah. that voice that used to be in the clubhouse yeah. spouting these new age philosophies. Yeah. Speak speaking speaking of cl- speaking of clubhouses, did you watch Will Harris's interview on MLB Network? No, I try to avoid anything national. Oh, okay. Um, he was like Mike Rizzo. Apparently, called him like a week after the World Series, and basically was like, "I know the media is putting it all on you, but you made a really good pitch. Keep your head up." It, and it was a really good pitch. And then later, when they, he found out the Nats were interested, he was like, "Nah, I'm going there." And I was like, "That's really cool." Like the team of the the GM of the team you beat was like, "Now keep your head up, dude. You made a really good pitch." Savvy, savvy move by Rizzo. Savvy, savvy, savvy phone call. move. While he was on his honeymoon in the Caribbean, he made that phone call. What a pro. Um, what, did, did he invite Strasburg on the honeymoon with I him? I don't think so. Strasburg, Strasburg kind of like went back home and got the flu right after the season. <laughs> <laughs> don't I don't know if, yeah, he had the flu at the Nats World Series parade, so he was like his sitting bus. in his chair bundled. He was sitting his on bu- the bus bundled up, like not really waving or anything. We're like, what the hell's wrong with him? His body was rejecting a healthy season. He was like, he was like, I couldn't get sick during the playoff stretch that needed me too much, so I decided to get He's sick He's like, now. I've been healthy all year. Something bad needs to happen to me. His body yeah, rejected man. six months of health, seven months God. of health. Dude, that is... I, I know I know we we talked about it last time and we're almost at an hour. Let's fill this up for another minute, but um I think the Nats overpaid to get hopefully another Hall of Fame hat besides Scherzer. I think that's why they agreed to go that length in money with Strasburg. I only wonder if he's gonna have the innings total. Yeah, but if he can keep up the strikeout pace, he might be able to do it because he beat he beat Nolan Ryan and Randy Johnson to fifteen hundred and two hundred fifteen hundred and two thousand in terms of total and games and innings. I know I brought up inning total like um like I'm um, like sixty um but hopefully by the time Strasburg has retired and it's been a few years and we're voting for him. 
the uh, the voting uh, voters are a bit more progressive. I mean, you're you you're already seeing it with the committees and stuff, so I think it's just a matter of years, not necessarily months. Get rid of those boomers. Yeah, we we get to talk about that in a couple weeks. You excited? Can't wait. Can't I wait. cannot wait to be furious that Scott Rowland doesn't make the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I just want Larry Walker to make it, man. That's all I want this Same. year. That's all I want oh. this year. I'm, I am I think this is the first year that I'm, like, invested. I, I don't know why, but I really care about Scott Rowland's candidacy. I don't yeah. know. I have no idea why. Absol- absol- absolutely no reason at all. None whatsoever. Doesn't have to do with anybody else on the ballot. Oh. Okay. I can't believe you got through that with a straight face, to be honest. Um, but yeah, so new name, same same show, same hot takes. You guys want to follow us? We're on Facebook at Tape Measure Pod. We are on Twitter at Tape Measure Pod, and we are on Anchor.fm slash Tape Dash Measure Dash Podcast or Tape Measure Dash Takes <laughs> Dash Takes. We'll put there the links go. on Twitter. The links will be on on the Twitter post. Um, so yeah, for for Schwebzy, this is Rai Rai signing off. Until next time, see you then. <laughs>